Welcome to another exciting episode of the Tangent Talk. We are so happy that you are here. And, and guess what, you all? We are on season four of the Tangent Talk. How exciting is that? We here at the Tangent Talk are just excited to continue to bring you great content. And I could not do it without this amazing cast. And we actually have a guest today, which makes season four that much more exciting because we are incorporating inviting guests to come and hang out with us here in our virtual studio. So today we have our guest, Mr. Code, joining us from the Carolinas. So thank you for joining us, Mr. Code. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. I feel very honored to be among all of you today. We're happy to have you, Code. We really are, and just a delight. And so we are going to get started on the topic. So for those of you who aren't aware, we are celebrating fathers here in the month of February. And you may say, why? Well, the theme for season four is family. So for those of you who checked out our Spare the Rod episode, that was our first episode of the season. And the next topic is this one which is celebrating our fathers. And so I'm just gonna go around the room and ask what comes to mind when you think about celebrating fathers? Just the first thing that comes to mind. We'll start with our guests, Mr. Code. You know, the thought that comes to mind is the importance of having and working towards being a good father in the lives of our children. And for us as children, being a son, and I, I have a dad, uh, luckily that is alive, and I know not everybody does, working to also continue to celebrate my dad and celebrate who he is for me and what he stands and represents for me. That's what comes to mind. Yeah, it's wonderful. What about you, Helbra or Dark One? We'll go to the other gentlemen of the cast. And of course, we too, Lunama speaking and Tioff will weigh in. What comes to mind? Uh, Helbra, why don't you kick it off first? What comes to mind when you think about celebrating fathers? Yeah, the first thing that came to mind was that we don't see it nearly as much as the celebration of mothers. I would agree. And for you, Dark One? For me, I think about how lucky I have been to have had a father in my life, my whole life, up until recently, and just what that has meant to the man that I've become and the man that I hope to continue to grow into. Received. And what about you, Tioff? I agree with uh, Helbra that fathers, particularly Black fathers, are not celebrated enough, especially when we deal with the image or the stereotype in our community that Black fathers are not present or involved or concerned with the lives of their children. Even though my parents divorced when I was five, I still had the fortune that my father was always around. He, was, he wasn't the perfect father, but he was always there. He always provided. And I get my sense of humor from him. A lot of things that shaped me culturally, musically, I got from him. So, you know, I feel fortunate, you know, that my father has always been an active part of my life, even after my parents split and he continues to be so today. And I'm fortunate that I also still have my father uh, with us. Yeah. And, and that's good to know, uh, Tioff. I actually just learned something just now, <laughs> how your father shaped some of your preferences. That's really good to know. Code, you should know here that 
I learned so much about this amazing cast because of this podcast. So it's it's always interesting to me to learn something newly about this amazing cast. So, you know, for me, Father's Day, and don't judge me, <laughs> but one of the things that comes to mind is just how sometimes the word father, or should I say daddy, is used in a way that I think is sexualized. What am I talking about? I was watching a show the other day and this young lady, it's a reality show. And I believe it's about self-made millionaires in Memphis. If any of you know the show, shout it out. But one of the young ladies married a gentleman who is I think 15 years her senior and she calls him daddy. And I cringe when I hear that. And then there's another song you guys know is popular about three years ago and it goes like this. And if you guys get upset and because I'm singing, that's okay. <laughs> um, but it goes something like, will you be my daddy? And I hated that song too. So when I think about celebrating fathers, sometimes I think about how the word father or daddy is kind of, in my view, sexualized. And I don't know what's there. We can maybe talk about it as we continue with this segment. But celebrating fathers, I go back to what Helper said. I don't think it happens enough. How many of us have watched a I don't know, a football game or basketball game. And the star athlete is interviewed at the end of the game and he looks right in the camera and he says, this is for you, mom. Do we ever hear someone of an athletic stature or otherwise saying, you know, this is for you, dad? Anyone, has anyone heard that? Yeah, I definitely know of athletes who speak on the importance of their relationship with their father. Of course, being a big basketball fan, uh, Steph Curry, his father, played in the NBA. So he always talks about how important his relationship with his father is. Kyrie Irving, he talks about how special his relationship with his father is. Um, Mike Conley, his father, was a pretty big track and field athlete, I believe. So in the realm of athletics, definitely. That's a good point then, Halbert. And thank you for that, because you're definitely the resident sports fan here. And I appreciate you sharing that, because I really, I haven't seen enough of that. It seems as if mothers, as you even mentioned earlier, Halbert, are celebrated and fathers, eh, not so much. But to your point, Halbert, clearly that happens a lot more than I am aware of when we talk about sports. Code, you wanted to jump in and share something, please. Yeah. So the thought that do we see much about fathers out there and are they are celebrated as much as they should? It made me think of one thought that came to mind right before we started this session today, which was thinking about songs that talk about fathers. And I couldn't see a song that I connected with that talked about fathers other than a song about God. And it made me think about there's this song that was sung by a, a little girl then in Nigeria. She was very, she was probably like eight. And she sang a song, Osenobla, which is God in the Esan tribe. And it's Osenobla Obulu, Osenobla Obulu. And when I thought about my favorite songs about fathers, that's a song that came to mind. None about any earthly being. Um, wow. earthly fathers. So I just thought that has, that's good and that's bad in a way. I wish there were more songs. I could route off many about moms, but not as much I could route off about dads when it comes to songs other than that particular song that I loved, but it was about uh, Heavenly Father. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned that code because that is something that we researched prior to coming on air. We talked about, and I'm going to 
share it with the team, uh, the audience, I should say. If you get a chance, Google Billboard's 2020 playlist for dads. And Code kind of alludes to this. We took a look at that playlist as a team. And to Code's point, we really didn't see a lot of songs that were celebratory in nature. Sure, they had father as a theme. But if you take a look at some of the song titles, I'm going to pull it up right now, actually. If you take a look at some of the song titles, I mean, Madonna's Papa Don't Preach, Tioff, you and I are Madonna fans. Did that song sound like she was celebrating her father? No, not at all. I mean, <laughs> I mean, growing up, you know, back in the day, listening to Madonna, anything she made, you listened to and you loved it. But as an adult listening to it, I don't know what's the best way to describe it. It's just more of Dad, you're, you're always hard on me, but now I'm in trouble. I need your help. And that's not celebratory. Not at all. And, you know, Madonna has another song on Billboard's list here, uh, Tee Off and Company, Madonna's Old Father song. It's described here as forever controversial. Madonna reveals her scars in the stinging bitterness of her 1989 track. Madonna refuses to hold back her contempt for her dad with lines like, quote, you never loved me, end quote, and quote, maybe someday when I look back, I'll be able to say you didn't mean to be cruel, end quote, proving that not all Father's Days are happy. By the way, the single earned a number 20 peak on the Hot 100 in 1990. So yes, the topic today is celebrating our fathers. Do we think Helbra, that there is room for us to talk about, as this Madonna father song does, about the fact that some relationships with child and father aren't always great? Are we talking about specifically still in the music, like musical artists or just in general? Yeah, I think we could talk about it from either angle, um, you know, from a general perspective or how it's represented in entertainment music. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. The thing that comes to mind is just from a biological perspective, parenting is seen as more of the trait that a female has. So as far as that goes, it's like people don't really align or associate the things that come with being a parent with men, more so with women. So the celebration of parenthood usually goes more so towards mothers than fathers. I would agree with that. So, so I'm going to challenge Helbra and anyone mm -hmm. can jump in here. What about Helbra stunting like my daddy? <laughs> We're Birdman and Lil Wayne. <laughs> listen, that relationship is still creepy to me. I'm sorry right, I'm on yeah. air saying it, but Wheezy and his father figure Birdman exhibit their bond on this song, which is a highlight from their 2006 collaboration, Like Father, Like Son. So, I mean, talk to me. Stunting like my daddy, isn't that a celebration of fatherhood? Or is that just yeah. a creepy relationship between those two people? <laughs> I mean, I haven't listened to that song in so long, but I remember it being pretty hot. But yeah, there's outliers. And even in that song specifically, I don't think it's actually talking about fatherhood. I think it's talking about <laughs> buying jewelry and buying cars and flaunting money and, you know, <laughs> type of stuff. But that's what um, I think of when I think about my yeah. father. No, it's like, you're right. No one <laughs> thinks about that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, being that you keep bringing it back to the hip hop perspective, obviously being dominated by Black men, the experiences of most of at least those Black men is that they grew up with a very close relationship with their mother and a basically absent relationship with their father. So that's the themes that we hear in a lot of hip hop artists' music. 
but I just wanted to um, add to what Helber said just a few moments ago and how parenting or the celebration of parenting is typically geared toward mothers. And I believe that's because in a society that we live, we covered this in a previous podcast, that we do live in a patriarchal society. And mm -hmm. I think the core reason why fathers are not celebrated is because we still focus on designated gender roles and we see child rearing as women's work. I got to I got to snap my fingers on that one. I would agree Can with I you. Oh, please do. Let's get it started, Helper. What you got? <laughs> no, I mean, I guess my statement came from more so like just watching a lot of nature channels. I mean, I'm not an expert on animals and the study of animals, but when you watch a lot of animals and how they breed after children are created, it's usually the mother that is caring for the children as opposed to the males, the father. And I think that trait also, we as humans are included in that. That was, that was my point. I we'll think, let the audience agree or disagree. <laughs> yeah, I think both of your points kind of resonate with my thinking in that our gender roles when it comes to parenting are different, you know, whereas I think mothers are socialized to, to be the comforters, whereas fathers are socialized to be the disciplinarians in many families and relationships. And so we as children, we naturally gravitate towards being comforted, whereas we don't have the same sort of appreciation for being disciplined. And so mm. dads often get the bad cop picture where moms are the good cop. And sometimes we carry that resentment, let's say, forward in life. And, and then sometimes also we look back on it, like for myself, I look back on it and, you know, with my dad as the disciplinarian and realize how important it was for him to establish that discipline in my life. So, yeah, I think it really is about those gender roles and how we receive that parenting and then carry it forward in life that leads to fathers not having the same sort of general appreciation that mothers do. You know, I think that's a really good point, Dark Juan, as far as how we, there's that distinction, if you will, when it comes to parenting, that the mother is the nurturer and the father, as you mentioned, is a disciplinarian. I wonder, just because you talked a little bit about resentment, but I do remember a star football recruit's mom walking out after her son picked Florida over Tennessee. And I believe his name is Jacob Copeland. Fact check me on that, Helbra. Jacob Copeland when he signed with Florida. But at any rate, the, this was a viral video. And I remember thinking, what is happening here where your son is this is a milestone in his career and you walk out because you're upset with his choice. And I remember thinking I would be resentful towards that mother. So I bring that up, Darquan and company, to say that when you talk about resentment, I think sometimes mothers are resented for their air quotes, overparenting and being overprotective. Now, I didn't interview this woman, this mother who walked out, but I'm curious if people did what was her reasoning for, in a sense, spoiling what was essentially, a, again, a milestone in his career? Does anyone remember this story? I remember it, but I don't remember who hey, the yeah, you're, you're correct. Yeah, so I mean, it, it just, for me, I felt resentful. <laughs> I didn't even know this woman because my thought was, you're making this about you, lady. 
if Mr. Copeland wants to sign with Florida, well, darn it, let him sign with Florida and move on. Unless there was something that we don't know about that could have been a danger to him signing with Florida. It's like, let this man have his time to shine and, and sit down. Or as we would say, as West Indians, go sit down. But um, let's talk about that, the nurturer versus the disciplinarian. You know, we've got Code, Mr. Code here in the building, our special guest today. And you know, Code, as we celebrate fathers, I definitely was excited about having you on today because you exemplify, in my view, what a good father is, right? And so as a single father, talk to us about keying off of what Dark Juan just shared about the disciplinarian versus the nurturer. And we're not sure if you got to listen to our Spare the Rod <laughs> episode. It got tense. <laughs> but um, what do you view in terms of being a parent as the most important thing when it comes to nurturing versus disciplining, or do you collapse them and they're one and the same code? I would say that when I was still married, it seemed very much like there was the disciplinarian versus the nurturer role. And some of that was religiously influenced. And now that I am a single dad, I get to do both. I get to be the nurturer. I also get to be the disciplinarian. I get to be the motivator. I get to be the one that cheers them on. I also get to be the one that says, go to timeout. You can't do that. And I get to wear all hats. But naturally speaking, before this experience of being a single dad and being divorced, I would say there was more of a tilt or lean towards me being more of the disciplinarian, the provider, the one who went out, and the one who, if he got upset, it was much more difficult to handle than if mom got upset. We preferred mom's upset than dad's upset. Um, <laughs> so that was that was how it was at the time. But now I'm finding that I get to wear all all of those hats, and they're all right. important. Right. And I, and I appreciate you sharing that, that there was more of a tilt prior to you becoming a single father. I, I can totally appreciate the collapse of those roles, if you will, because in our Spirit of the Rod episode and Keep Me Honest, Tee Off, we talked about how, you know, in cases where the mother is left to parent a child, especially to parent a boy child, <laughs> you know, she may have to go to some extremes so we tussled a little bit on this on this podcast, you know, because I think I was the one person during the Spirit of the Rod episode that talked about or advocated for the Baltimore Sun to not be embarrassed as he was on national TV because his mother was trying to protect him from the riots that were, were occurring and the fact that he was participating in as Dark Juan shared a violent manner because he was throwing rocks and what have you. So so the cast was kind of, you know, they kind of had me up against the ropes there, Code, Helbra, T.O. and Dark Juan. They were in agreement for that type of disciplining. And I, I think the argument can also be made for the reason why I personally think it is helpful. It doesn't have to always happen. I, I'm a product of a single parent home, but it's helpful to have two parents in the house. I don't care if they're they're same sex or uh, or not, but I think it helps so that we don't have to always have that collapse of roles. So before we come back to code, Helbra, Dark One, Tee Off, 
um, now that I've had some ointment placed on my bruises from the last episode where you guys hemmed me up, uh, <laughs> what, what do you think? You know, you heard you heard Code talk about how he's collapsed the nurturer and disciplinarian roles. Do you all agree that two parents need to exist in the home in order for the burden, if you will, of parent? I don't even want to call it a burden. In order for the responsibility of being a parent to be shared? Anyone? I mean, that is always the ideal situation to have both parents in the household, but when it's not possible, I mean, one parent can get the job done, but it depends on the mental and financial state of the one parent. Like you hear statistics of what happens to young girls who don't have fathers in the home, but well, whether whether it's the, the boy or the girl, there's a single parent in the home, whether that parent is male or female, however they identify. I think as long as that parent is loving and nurturing and stable and don't have any issues with, say, abuse or violence or alcoholism or drug use, I, I think they can raise a child just fine because there are plenty of parents who end up doing it completely on their own. And as a single parent, you have to do what you have to do. But it really depends on what state that parent is, how the child comes out. Okay. Darquan? Yeah, I agree with most of those points. Yeah, what I'm thinking is that the ideal situation is for both parents to have both responsibilities. Um, You definitely want to have both parents available to raise the child or children. But I think I benefited because while I had, you know, I had a stepmother for most of my life, you know, as I was growing up, but my dad always had both of those sides. He was the disciplinarian as well as the, the person who comforted me. And I think that was really fundamental in having me be a balanced person. I think that if we are putting together an archetype for solid parents, that both parents should have both sides and kind of show that within their process of raising the children. It shouldn't fall on one parent, even though it often does. Also, having that balance of both disciplinarian and comforting affects how that child then grows up and becomes a parent if they're blessed to have children. So, and again, with the, you know, back to resentment, you then don't point your resentment towards any one parent or feel that imbalance and then bring that forward into, let's say, how you parent. So, and I think as a person now, I, when, when my father passed away, my eulogy talked about how I was lucky to have had him in my life. And I defined luck as a force that brings about good fortune. And I think that I'm fortunate to have that value for both discipline and being, you know, a comforting force. And, and we'll try to bring that forward in parenting if I'm lucky to have children. I really love what you share, Darquan. And before we get to Helbra, I love the fact that you share that your father was both the disciplinarian and the comforter, much like what Code says he's doing now as a single parent, because, you know, we're talking, this is in the context of parenting, but, you know, here at the cast, we love to talk about relationships as well, right? Romantic relationships. And I think it can play a role in romantic relationships where, you know, your partner, Dark One, I'm sure sees you as a comforter as well, not just the problem solver. As heterosexual women, when we date heterosexual men, I know for me, the thought is you're going to go out as the man, you're going to go out and ensure that if it was a situation where we were married, that the house is taken care of. And I'm going to, as Tioff mentioned, be the one to take care of the kids. But if you're based on what you're sharing and the way you were raised to have the father figure also be the comforter 
I, I, that's to me powerful. And even in relationships, then I don't have to say I'm dealing with something difficult, you know, emotionally, let me go talk to my girlfriends. I can also say, Hey, my, my partner can also comfort me. So that's just a, that's just a tangent. And we do go off tangentially on this show, but you know, how our rearing can impact relationships. So Helper, what are you hearing all this? And then we've got some questions for code. We're, we're not putting you on the hot seat code, but we just want to kind of tease out a little bit more about, you know, your parenting. Cause it's, it's quite a fascinating story. So I've got a few questions and then the panel will have some questions for you as well, but Helper, anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I agree with actually most of your points, Luna, for sure. Our relationship with our parents shows up in our interpersonal relationships, especially in romantic relationships. I think that's, you know, proven. But I also do feel like, yeah, it's ideal to have a nuclear family, right? Two parents and the children within the same household. But at the same time, you know, depending on the parent that has the custody of children are hopefully both parents. As long as they're both healthy and can raise the children, you know, in a healthy manner, then that works as well. So understood. So code, we return to you, sir. I have been in communication with you and what you're doing, I think, is is noble in terms of raising your children with a open heart. I don't get at all from you that there's any bitterness or any resentment towards your former partner. I get that you are raising your children to appreciate their mother and also appreciate life. And, you know, it's, it's their new normal now. Talk to us about what that's been like for your children to experience what they have with the breakdown of the relationship such that now you are parenting as a single father. Talk to us about that. What has that been like for you? And what has that been like for your, for your beautiful children? Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share that. At the very beginning of the separation, it was extremely hard. I grew up in a society where in Nigeria, it was very communal, less individual, and family and marriage was never supposed to be broken. And that's changing, and that's that's changing with time now. So I fought for the marriage to stay together. I did everything I could. I And that took me into really dark places emotionally and mentally because I wanted something I couldn't have. And my kids saw that. And for a certain period of time, they saw a dad I didn't want them to see, a dad that just put one foot in front of the other and took them to do things that they were supposed to do. But I felt like I was like a dead man walking and just doing what I was supposed to do, like coming to the oh. games and coming to the activities. And as time went on, I started to not only go against the advice I was given from loved ones, which was, you need to go take care of yourself. You need to leave your kids. When they grow up, they'll come look for you. Many people do that. All they need is money anyway move out of the state, go get a job elsewhere, and maybe you'll have a future arrangement where they'll come see you for part of the summer or something. But just go, just leave. And I said, no, my father never left me, and I am not going to leave my children, and I'm going to stay here and be there for them. And somehow this is going to pass. And indeed it did pass. Received. Well, Cole, do you have anything to share in terms of how you find parenting and especially when the courts may be involved. You know, you, you, you talked about going through a divorce. 
How much of what you have established, and you don't have to get into anything that's deeply personal, but how much of what you think you've established now in rearing your kids had more to do with you being able to speak on, on the amicable terms that you are on with your ex in terms of making arrangements that work for you all? Because what I'm getting at, Code, is that I sometimes wonder why the court system is involved, but T-Off shared there are cases that necessitates the court being involved, but could it also just be handled amicably between two people and the court not be involved? Oh, wow. That's a very loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I think um, definitely there are situations where it's been handled amicably between two people and there are situations where based on the trust between both individuals or the willingness to work together between both individuals or even how the divorce started if an attorney was involved on one side then the other side feels well i also then need an attorney to protect myself that was my situation i got served and i was like okay should i just like try to talk to her myself and and people said no you gotta have an attorney now because <laughs> they're gonna put some stuff in there that you need a professional to read and so we had attorneys involved. And I remember the early stages of the divorce when she sought temporary uh, assistance. I couldn't afford a place to stay. So I was staying to, with some family friend and a lot of my paycheck was going to her. And I remember having a hard time seeing that happen, given I couldn't have my own place to stay. And I remember my mom telling me these words and I wrote it on a paper and I pasted it on my wall. And she said, like, nothing you have is yours. Everything you have is borrowed. And I wrote it on a wall. So every time that twice a month, when the time for the alimony and the child support came, it was easy for me to let the money go. And now it's a non-issue at all for me because of the amicability. But I think just being able to give those payments and do what I was supposed to do builds back some trust between for her towards me. And I've never ever not paid anything that she's asked for and has been granted by the court or weren't asked for by the court, partly because I also don't want to get in trouble. Um, right. <laughs> and um, so there's that. Yeah, I, I also think it's important for us to, as we think about the number of deadbeat dads and fathers that are missing in their family dynamics or raising of their children, that we take into consideration the impact that our court system has on separating fathers from their children. We know that's definitely more common for custody to be given to mothers. And then, of course, there are numerous relationship dynamics that are impacted by that, that could possibly make it more challenging for fathers to be good dads to their children. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Darquan, and I'll just speak on my own personal experience. I think, you know, you heard me say that for my father, it was he had a difficult time in his life. And, you know, if we were to or if I were to assess or grade my dad on how much money he was sending and what was he, you know, ensuring that financially I was okay, aka child support, then that would have been unfair to him, I think, at that time. I do think the whole child support situation is a tricky one because it's not to say that I don't want single mothers to have that support, financial support. They deserve it. I just think it sometimes puts men in an unfair situation whereby they may not be able to afford that financial responsibility. Am I off base here, Tioff? Or even end up in jail if they can't afford that, you know, responsibility. 
it's such a tough topic because it's so individual in terms of what happened. Like you have a lot of men who say, you know, they don't want to be brought up on child support, but at the same time, you know, many fathers won't help provide for their children unless the government is taking the money out of their check. And this is something that you hear from, at least from the single mother perspective, that, you know, if they're the full-time custodial parent, that the father doesn't help out. And I know that's not the case 100% of the time, but, you know, that I think that's where that whole child support battle comes in. It was like, well, you shouldn't bring him up on child support. But at the same time, for a lot of men, they, they won't help out if they're not brought up on it. Do you agree with some of the more aggressive ways in which child support seems to be an albatross around many of our fathers and brown and and black fathers next? (laughs) I don't disagree with it for those who refuse to provide for their children. No, I don't disagree with it because, I mean, I've seen it for myself where you have men who will literally quit working so that they don't have to pay child support or change their social security numbers and do underhanded things to get out of paying court order child support on top of not willingly helping the mothers out on their own. And I can totally agree with that, T.R., for sure. Someone's intentionally manipulating the system or gaming the system to shirk responsibility. I, I fully understand. I wonder, and this is for the fellas, I wonder, do you feel like your support as a father should be quantified? Or would you say that spending time with your child is in essence, equivalent to buying the child clothes or, you know, what other, you know, sponsoring field trips, things of that nature. Children are expensive. I have to jump in on that. Children are expensive. (laughs) Child care alone for one child can be a thousand dollars a month. If you're a single parent, regardless of gender, if you're the custodial, if you're a father and you're custodial or you're the mother and you're custodial, children are expensive and one person can't do that by themselves. So whoever the absent parent is, they need to be financially contributing some kind of way because if you're trying to pay rent, like the the amount that a custodial parent would even get doesn't even cover a fourth of the expenses it takes to raise a child. I think in in some situations that's true. And I don't think it can be quantified. I don't think it's either or. I think a parent needs to do both. But I do think we also have to acknowledge that some of that child support money doesn't go to where it should be all the time. And that's that's what many men who are resistant to that say. That's actually not true, though, in a lot of cases. Like, again, child care is expensive, especially if the parent is working and you have to send your kid to daycare. Daycare is incredibly expensive. And then you're having to pay, you know, health insurance. Those things are incredibly expensive. And if you're a parent who's taking care of your child, like you don't have money to throw away, you know, the bills that take care of that child, they, they, they have to be paid. And, and if you're not a custodial parent making a whole lot of money, you, you need this additional support from the other parent. I completely agree with you on that. I'm just saying that oftentimes the parent paying the child support has absolutely no say over what happens with that money that they are contributing. And I think that what many men want is to have some control over that. I want to make sure that what I'm giving towards my child goes towards my child, in essence, and not towards enriching the lifestyle of the other parent. My ex-husband refused to pay child support to the point that he had some, he took someone to court to lie that they were me to stop paying child support. And no matter how hard I fought, I could not get child support. And I was struggling thinking I did not waste money on anything. Every dime that I earned went 
toward help to buy, provide for my child to the point that after all my expenses was paid, I had zero dollars in the bank and my accounts were overdrawn. And I'm calling her father asking, you know, can you send me some money because we don't have any food or I don't have enough to buy food or we can't buy this, that and the third because then he told me straight up because he honestly believed because we were legally married that he didn't have to pay child support. He did everything that he could to get out of paying. And no matter how hard I went to the course to fight, I couldn't get any child support out of him and I needed the money. So it sounds to me that Tiaf and Dark Juan are speaking to stereotypes, right? Stereotypes in terms of fathers who aren't ethically taking care of their financial responsibility. And we talked to, in the earlier examples Tiaf shared where, you know, they may very well try to be manipulative and, and game the system. And then Dark Juan, you're speaking of the stereotype and real life events of some mothers who may enrich, as you put, their lifestyles versus taking care of their children. You know, going back to the earlier point about the justice system, there was definitely some favoritism towards her than there was towards me, both from friendships, both from family friends, both from neighbors, both from church members. The love and the kindness went to her than it was to me. And I felt alone. And that was some of the reasons family members were telling me to leave the city, go somewhere else, go away. And I said, no, I'm wow. not here. And then the second point is something my friend said to me. And he said, Clegg, you know that if you don't have money, you would have lost your kids, right? And we have joint custody now. And the reason he said that was because I was blessed and Heavenly Father helped me and I had good attorneys and all that. And But she was rooting for soul custody. She was rooting for all of those things that now she looks back on and she really we really need each other in each other's life to raise the kids the way we want to raise it. And it's very clear to her. And she's expressed that to me. But at the time, emotions were raw. And she was putting everything she could to fight for me to be completely out of their lives. So we had to have everybody involved. The kids, but, the kids had their own attorneys. Um, wow. Our friends. And and then they came up with a law and said, okay, well, she did say soul custody. But according to all the interviews, we've said, he's a good dad. She's a good mom. They are very different, but they should have joint custody. And that was what it came to. It came to, and I was the one who was asked to pay for the kid's attorney. I was asked to pay for my own attorney. I was asked to, so it was just. <laughs> wow. Um, so the justice system is not, in many cases, I would say, it's not as favorable to, favorable to the man. And sometimes they would then decide why bother, why fight it. But to your point, I think it does beg the question, when we talk about divorce, and I think I've heard Darquan mention it as, describe it as losing a limb. Was that how you described it in the last episode, Darquan? Yes. Divorce is akin to losing a limb. It does beg the question, what structures are in place so that if a marriage, especially a marriage with kids, or a relationship with kids breaks down, how do we recover more to the point? How do we ensure that we don't implode because there are going to be financial decisions being made for the children. I heard you say something that was key, Code. You said, friends and family said, you know you probably wouldn't have had custody of your kids if you didn't have money. That's sad because we know there are many people who may not be in a financial position as you are who may lose their children, and I'm talking men or women, may lose custody because they don't have the money that is court mandated to pay out for child support or alimony, so on and so forth. So, Dark One, I think you were going to weigh in. In talking about how the court plays a part in all of this, to kind of get back to the initial point that I made, 
it doesn't matter to me what gender you are in how the court impacts your responsibility to take care of your children. I do think that if they're going to play a part in it, though, then they should also make sure that those funds are appropriately allocated. You know, if you're going to say you have to pay, don't just send him or her a check and not worry about what happens with that money. Because that's part of the challenge that those who have to pay alimony or palimony are concerned about. And I think something else, too, you said about kind of accepting your responsibility. I think oftentimes men are in that provider role. And sometimes I see in many relationships with friends I have, that role is not celebrated in the way that the nurturer role is celebrated from the woman's perspective, because society says men are supposed to provide. It's kind of your baseline for starting to be a decent parent is just that you provide for your children. It's not anything you're really given credit for, per se. Well, one of the other things as we're speaking about celebrating fathers and looking to wind down our episode here, I definitely thought it was interesting that as we celebrate, I don't even know if we could even say celebrate, it's so somber, as we consider the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's passing. And we've heard a lot about Girl Dad after Kobe's passing. And I want to just read something from this article here in Essence. And it's an op-ed. It was written by Candace Benbow in February of last year. Actually, we're, we're almost at the one-year anniversary of this of this article that Candace wrote because she wrote it February, or at least it was published February 3rd, 2020. She writes here, when Kobe proudly identified as girl dad, it wasn't just because he was the father of four girls. It was because he was actively working to make the world better for his daughters and other girls. It went beyond his commitment to youth sports and the WNBA. It was evidenced in his meeting with Black Lives Matter and women's rights activists to learn how he could use his platform to amplify necessary causes. It was evidenced in his interviews where he joked about being outnumbered in his house, but was serious when he discussed listening to his wife and daughters about the times he just missed the mark. It was evidenced in his public refusal to suggest he needed a son to carry on his legacy. Kobe Bryant is a girl dad because he was doing everything he could to make this world a much less sexist and patriarchal place. And he was starting with himself. React to that, Helbra. What are you hearing in this tribute, if you will, from Candace Benbow in this article, which is entitled, Not Every Father with a Daughter? is a hashtag girl dad. Albert? Yeah, well, um, what's present for me in that is just that he was conscious enough to, after having four daughters, you know, to be able to see how patriarchy affects society negatively for, you know, women and girls. And at least during the time that he had left, try to change that, you know, at least for the sake of his daughters. Right. Agreed. Well, yeah. I'm going to punt to tee off and dark one. Anyone want to tackle that? What is a girl dad? Well, my dad was what I consider to be a girl dad. I have two sisters. They're both younger than I am, but I think my dad grew into girl dadism in that what I noticed, and my youngest sister is 15 years younger than I am. So what I noticed is that with me, he was much more strict overall, but he, other than that, and I think definitely raising me in Brooklyn and raising them in Florida is a different experience and required a part of that change at least. But I think what I noticed about him, why I think that he was a good girl dad is that other than that, he raised them very much the same way that he raised me. 
meaning they were not coddled. They were not taught to accept things that I think are not beneficial to them. They were not not taught to be submissive. They were taught to get up and go and work hard and be enterprising and, and be self-sufficient. So I think he raised them in a way that I looked at and said, it, it's really balanced. And it's he's not forming them into standard societal roles. He is giving them the ability to get everything that they can out of life. And I think my older sister, a little bit more so than my younger sister, who was, you know, I think a little bit caught up in just being young. But my oldest sister has outpaced me in many things that I'm really proud of her and proud of him because of how he raised her. So I think that that's a part of being a girl dad is not forcing a girl or coaching a girl into becoming the standards that society has set for women. Thank you for that, Dark Juan. So Code, we're putting you on the spot. Are you a girl dad? I am definitely a girl dad. And I'm very careful about labels. And um, just because they could easily get like misinterpreted or things like that. I would say I'm a dad who wants my daughter to believe that she can achieve whatever she wants to achieve and be whatever she wants to be, and that she's not better than anybody else and nobody else is better than her, and that she's got talents and gifts that she can develop and grow, and other people have talents and gifts that they can develop and grow, and they're going to be different by her work, by her grit, by her effort and only actually uh, through the grace of God, she'll become what she wants to be. So if that's the definition of girl dad, which it sounds like it is, I am definitely one. And I give the credit to my dad who, again, like I mentioned, it was common to like treat the girls differently. Well, you don't have to do this or you don't have to get an education or you don't have to. No, 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 no. All five of us got our bachelor's degree in our home. Received. Received. Well, we have celebrated the girl dads, you know, Code being one, Dark One's father being one. Whether girl dad or just good fathers, we know that the inverse is true, right? That there are some fathers that, yeah, for whatever reason, just didn't or don't meet the mark. Talk about that in terms of what you've experienced personally or what maybe your friends and colleagues have experienced. Elbra, have you experienced either personally or with friends of yours, relationships where there has been strain with a father? Well, yeah, I did personally. My parents divorced when I was very young, and I believe my father kind of took the alternate route that Cole took. He remarried, and I think his mentality was kind of like, you know, in a nutshell, well, this is my family now. It didn't work out with my mother, so this is my family now, and he's been pretty absent for the most part ever since. Thankfully, I grew up in a subdivision where pretty much all of my close friends had their fathers in there. So I was able to at least see examples of how important it is for a young man to have his father in his life and, and see examples of healthy relationships between father and son, specifically Black fathers and sons. And now that I'm much older, I still kind of wonder how my life would have been different if I had my father in mind. But at least I have some examples of, you know, if and when I have children, how to be a good father to my children. Received. And, you know, I think, Helber, we appreciate you sharing personally and authentically. That's what we love about the Tangent Talk cast. They're not afraid to beat up the host. <laughs> and they're not afraid to, to speak authentically. And I love it. And, you know, in, in that vein, because when we share authentically, we give 
others permission to do the same. You know, I'll share authentically that, you know, my relationship with my father wasn't ideal <laughs> growing up. He wasn't in the house. But what I will say is that he made a concerted effort to maintain contact with me at a point where I think it was healthy for him to. So one of the cast members, I can't remember if it was was Dark One or, or Tioff, talked about we typically see fathers as the disciplinarians and mothers as the nurturers. And I would extend that point to say we will allow for the mothers to nurture themselves even and not so much the fathers. Well, what do I mean? We've all seen at least one Tyler Perry movie <laughs> where a mother has an addiction to drugs, or alcohol, you name it. And there's grace given to her, right? So she can get her act in order. But when it comes to the fathers who may be considered deadbeats or what have you, there's not, there's not that much grace given. And so my argument here is my hope is that we extend grace to men and women when they need to heal. And for me, I think my father found himself in a situation where he was dealing with the pressures of life. One, you know, Co talks about growing up Nigerian. I grew up Jamaican. I can only imagine moving from one country to another at a young age. My father and my mother immigrated to the States in their 20s. I don't even know what I was doing in my 20s, but it darn sure <laughs> I didn't have the maturity to pick up and move to another country. I can tell you that. And so my father found himself in a new country, and I think there were certain things that happened, the confluence of things, be it, you know, not being able to get into the university that he wanted to and not being able to secure the ideal job and so on and so forth. And he found himself in a place where he had to comfort himself. And I'm, I'm not sure how much grace is given to our fathers when they have to heal, but God bless him. He healed and he made sure that he reached out and established a contact with me. And we've been connected, if you will, ever since then. And so one of the things I've learned in personal and professional studies, and I know you'll recognize this code, is that we must learn to love people for who they are and who they aren't. And, you know, that takes courage and that takes uh, a lot of your own personal development and perhaps even faith. So, you know, we want to leave you all with this as we go into our wrap up. This is a topic and a segment about celebrating our fathers. And we are by no means going to be dismissive about those of you listening who may not have an ideal relationship. But again, how do we learn to love people for who they are and who they aren't, whether they show up as girl dads and fantastic dads as Code and, and Dark Wan's father and Tiaf's father, or if you find yourself dealing with some challenges. I know I can say I love my father and I, I really do deeply, but it has been a struggle. You know, there's some things that we had to work through. So with that, let's go ahead and do our wrap up. This has been a great segment. Again, it's been fantastic to have you, Code. So as the guest of honor, in 30 seconds or less, what would you like to share in your wrap-up, Code? I think what I want to say in my wrap-up is I am very, 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 very grateful to all the wonderful fathers out there who are such great role models to me. And despite the odds, especially the minority fathers, the Hispanic fathers, the Black fathers, despite the odds that the society places on them that they are not good enough or they are deadbeats because they don't look the same or because culturally they keep a dreadlock or they drop their pants or whatever, which are just cultural things, they are defined as bad fathers. 
And I am so grateful to know that many of these people are great dads and I am so honored to be inspired by them. I'm grateful for my dad for always being there for me and showing me what it was like to be there and what it is like also to be there. Despite, again, those pressures that fathers tend to feel from the corporate workplace down to society. So thank you all for inviting me. This was an honor and a privilege to be with you all and to share from my experience. Lastly, my um, every strength and healing that I've received from the journey I've been over the past year has come from God in terms of what I've been able to do and what I've not been able to do. And I look to him every day for his grace. And I'm so, so, so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Code. Helbra, what would you like to share in your wrap up? I definitely thank you, Code, for sharing, you know, your experiences. Like I said, I learned a lot from watching my friend's father. I just learned so much now just from listening to you speak. And yeah, let's continue to uplift fathers just as much as we do mothers, because we all need each other and we definitely all need both of our parents and our love from them. So thank you. See y'all. Talk to us. Your 30 second wrap up begins now. I just wanted to thank Code for joining us and sharing his experience as a father and just bringing to light and to the forefront to the public through this podcast that you can be divorced and be a father and still have, you know, that balance in an equitable way of rearing your children. And I don't think people see that enough. So thank you for sharing, not only sharing, but showing the rest of the world that having that balance, especially being divorced, is, is possible. And I also wanted to say that you helped me to realize that, you know, culturally, we aren't so different. Just that whole idea that the community is involved with the discipline of the children, because I think a lot of African-Americans feel disconnected from our brothers and sisters who were born and raised on the mother continent and that we're so different. And we're really not because I got paddled in school, too. And we're not so different. So thank you for sharing that. It's wonderful. Thank you, Tiaf. You know, as we go to Dark Juan and end on Dark Juan, Dark Juan, you shared intimately about being raised by your father, who sadly, you know, is no longer with us. April 1st of this year marks the two-year anniversary of his passing. I wonder, Dark Juan, in addition to anything else you want to share in your wrap-up, what do you think you are most proud of in terms of how your father raised you, Dark Juan? Yeah, I definitely want to thank Code for sharing and teaching and, and, you know, just helping us to kind of get a get some insight on some things that are really profound. The thing I'm proudest of of my father is, well, I think they kind of are connected together. And the primary thing is being a 19 year old man and taking on and choosing to take on the responsibility is where the pride starts. And then I'm getting chills as I talk about it. it's wild, but and then granting me the privilege of watching him work for it. And that is what is most resounding to me is I got to watch him get up early in the morning and go to college. He got back home around three o'clock. Sometimes I wasn't there, but he would get home around three and then he would go to work till 11 at night. And then he would come home and do his homework and do all the other things that he needed to do. He'd check in on me every now and then. But then he would work his tail off during the week and on the weekends often. But on the weekends, he would make sure to carve out time with me so that I could watch him be a man. You know, I could watch how he interacted with his friends and how his friends interacted with him. I would watch him when it was his turn, he would cook and he would clean and he would do things that were non-traditional from a man's perspective. But just, I'm most proud of him for knowing that he needed to make time for me and let me watch him be a man. And that has Mm. helped me to 
without him saying, you should do this, you should be this way, he let me watch him be a man. And that is how I learned how to be a man. And I doubt that I'll ever become as good a man as he was, but I still have that to strive for now that he's not here. But yeah, the thing I'm most proud of is what he did to make a good life for me and that, that I got to watch it. Beautiful, Dark Juan. So as we close, we are celebrating the fathers who are still with us and those who have transitioned. We thank you for your listenership. We hope you come back and listen to other powerful episodes. Drop us a line on our website, thetangenttalk.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom. Drop us a line. Tell us, what did you love about this episode? What did you think we should have covered that we may have missed? We want to hear from you. We appreciate your listenership. 